Welcome back to Beyond the Veil, everyone. Today we are discussing Sorcerer's Stone Chapter 5, Diagon Alley. Um, and I am your host, Madison. And I'm Rebecca. So this was thankfully a full of magic chapter. Um, school shopping, we meet Draco, we go to the bank, we get some wands, we talk about backstory, we learn some stuff. This is a 10 out of 10 fun adventure chapter. Yeah. Yeah. Lots of random little bits of secret backstory in there too. Oh, yes. And we would be remiss not to mention, though, that uh, the Dursleys are left behind on Nyland with no way to leave as far as we know which well obviously Hagrid and Harry had to take the boat so like right they they don't matter you know this is some (laughs) there's a little bit of comeuppance for all of the nastiness that they've put Harry through lately yeah we don't know how Hagrid got there to begin with other than that he flew which makes very Mm -hmm. little sense because obviously his motorcycle is not there because then they would have taken that. And we don't see any brooms sitting around anywhere. And as amazing as Hybrid's coat is, I don't think he could fit a broom in his pocket. <laughs> he maybe he could if he had the like Hermione extension charm, but like I don't think he did. So probably not. <laughs> <laughs> so we're left to assume the only logical response would be that he flew in Mary Poppins style with his umbrella all yeah. the way across London. All the way no. across. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Just a half giant with a tiny pink umbrella flying around. As you know, like there's no other possible explanation for how he got there. So Hagrid is Mary Poppins. This is canon in the text. Mm-hmm. So, you know, do with that as you will. Mary Poppins who? We we only need Hagrid. Hagrid. Hagrid Poppins. He would be a great nanny. He absolutely would be the best nanny and like would maybe feed the children more than a spoonful of sugar but sometimes that's fine i want hagrid to appear into the fantastic beast even though the timeline wouldn't make sense and to just nanny the baby nifflers oh <laughs> okay <laughs> i support this <laughs> okay perfect we have our, our fan fiction ideas. Oh yeah, just Hagrid, Hagrid and Newt together, being cute as hell, loving animals. Oh, um, this chapter made me very happy. <laughs> yes, uh, it's <laughs> it's it's hard to even like point to a specific reason why. It just it feels like it's. You know what it gets me thinking of is I really love the, like, this is where the Lego game starts. Like, you go into yeah. the, um, into Diagon Alley as Harry and Hagrid, and this feels like, my favorite way to consume Potter is by playing the Lego game. Fair. This feels like that, you know? Like, this feels, oh, obviously. <laughs> it's just silly enough, and you're riding on that wave of magic, like, look at this weird quirky place with all of this weird stuff and there are lego coins exploding out of everything i love it like reading it, it felt like that it reminds me of um the song by potter puppet pals that's about the apparate suite 
and one of the lines he just the second half of the song just turns into basically a giant ad for the Wizarding World of Universal <laughs> Orlando. It's mm-hmm. incredible. Um, but like one of the lines, it's just like if Harry just like went to Wizarding World in Orlando. Ah, oh. like Harry Potter, just like the Potter puppet pal character. Um, and one of the lines is just like, um, I see my own life only cleansed of tragedy and void of strife. And it's great because it's literally just like Orlando. Like, I mean, you know, now it's like, I guess I'm going to shake around the sets. But whenever you look at the Lego Harry Potter, it's a similar thing where it's just like, it's all of the good things about Harry, about Harry Potter without the tragedy and the yeah. sad things. Because even when the sad things happen in the Lego games, it's like funny. It's exactly. Like, oh, look, he exploded into Lego pieces. It's fine. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, it's, it's good. It's silly. And it's very, it's very happy. <laughs> like when Sirius dies, he gets split in half. So Lupin passes his pants to him from across the veil. <laughs> that's, that's my favorite moment. <laughs> so good. I love that idea that this is like all of the great happy things about the books without the tragedy because that is what it makes me feel like inside. Yeah. It feels like what we've been waiting for in the last few chapters. Yeah. We're finally getting what we've been building up to. Which I think that's a in thinking about like I've always wondered about how people will go and just read like one chapter at a time and like randomly like just go to chapter seven of book six or something and i think this is going to teach me what chapters i need to go back and read if i'm feeling down like diagon alley this is a great chapter to go to for me because it makes me feel chipper <laughs> so i don't think yeah. i've ever thought of just like reading a book like reading a chapter of a book i'm always just like i always feel obligated to read all of these. <laughs> i know <laughs> like it's like how can i read it if unless i'm reading it from page one to page 300 and shutting it like i don't understand i remember whenever the last book came out um i used to go back and just read the epilogue over and over again mm. which i know everyone hates it but i i, I just like clung on to it because it like very emotional ties to Harry yeah <laughs> so I just like clung on to it because like we my family first started reading the book when I was in first grade mm-hmm. and then so like I literally grew up with it wow. and it was like my childhood and so then when it's like this is the future I was like that's the future <laughs> <laughs> so I was like I need I don't know I clung very tightly on to it there's something enchanting about like Maybe not for everybody, but I know for a lot of people reading the epilogue, the idea that everything is okay and that there is this future where they all are adults and they have children and they have these whole new, like, happy lives. I think that's like, it lets you envision your own life becoming something different than what it is. And regardless of, you know, like, whether it is good or not or whatever, it's nice to be able to envision that. Yeah, and just ending with, like, all was well was just really nice. I think it's Mm -hmm. also just because, like, reading books that don't have an epilogue makes me, like, anxious. I'm just like, I need to know what happens. Like, I need to know now. Romance novels a lot of times seem to have epilogues. They always make me happy as long as they're real romance novels that have happy endings and not fake sneaky ones that (laughs) trick you and make you sad. Looking at you, Nicholas Sparks. (laughs) (laughs) I think that I love the idea of just like 
knowing what happened, even if like, I don't like what happened. Like that's not what's important to me. It's just like, I want to know what happened good or bad just because like, I feel so connected to these characters. Totally. Well, and it makes me think of movies where it's like, Joey went on to have a, an otter uh, rescue. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> um, Joey's living the life. <laughs> Otters are so cute. I love otters. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Our first segment is Patronus Fuel, where we talk about something from the text that we love. And there were lots of things. And I personally am a big fan of school shopping lists. I love the feel of a fresh notebook and some folders and some new markers and like they're it's even better because they're witchy like have some new spell books some crystal vials like oh my god that just it fills my heart with bubbles i love it i love it i just bought school supplies i'm not even in school i was just like i need this for my desk i don't know what i'm going to do at my desk with these things but i need them yep sorry just (laughs) (laughs) i also love harry trying to buy the gold cauldron just because he could precious child but Hagrid was Hagrid was very great though he kind of kept him reined in just like you need to get the supplies that you're told to get (laughs) right would be sad to like melt a gold cauldron that would really suck I also think that Harry needs some sort of financial planning course or like a financial advisor or something because he can't just give an 11 year old their entire their parents life savings and just be like, okay, grab some handfuls. Let's go to school. Right. It almost makes me like, <laughs> is it realistic that this child would not take out like everything every time and buy himself a firebolt? Like, I don't, d- does a 13 year old have the restraint? <laughs> I think that like, cause he grew up like kind of having nothing that probably helped a little bit, but that also could lead to him. Like, I mean, he just doesn't understand how to manage money because he's never had money to manage. So, like, right, like lottery syndrome. Yeah. Like, you never know. Like, it could go good. It could just be like that he values the money a lot, or it could yeah. go really poorly where he doesn't understand the value of it because he's a child, <laughs> which is why we don't give children tons and tons of money. Normally, we have like a parent or guardian to help them with that, but obviously, we can't give it to the Dursleys because. <laughs> obvious reasons (laughs) they oh yeah no yeah so that's kind of weird that there's nobody to kind of help him manage that but i guess it's understandable but still as stated before there should be some sort of like fostering system that's like checking in on him and how he's being raised and helping him with these things but totally but there's not no there is uh, no help for poor little Harry as usual, but we're just going to release our orphans into the wild. They'll be fine. <laughs> I really like the excessive foreshadowing about the Green Gods break-in. Mm-hmm. Like it's extreme. Oh yeah. Like we multiple times, multiple times in its one chapter, Hagrid's just like, oh, you'd be mad to break into this. And they go in and he's like, see, I told you you'd be mad to break into this. And they have this engraved door that has a whole like poem about like how if you 
break in like it's going to be a disaster and then harry starts asking him about the stuff and he's like how often do you check to see if someone got stuck in there they're like every 20 years or so or something like that <laughs> and it's like so obvious that somebody is going to try and break it <laughs> and i love it it's beautiful it's great <laughs> and as a kid like when you're not picking up on the context clues i remember being like oh wait a break-in like when you find out later so yeah you're like somebody broke into the bank but you'd be mad to try and break into their Hagrid said so <laughs> yeah i can't believe it it's wild and crazy and amazing it's great i love it i love some unnecessary foreshadowing heck yes just heck yes. flavor it's like um did you watch the the part of musicals yes there's um something about they ask um like do you guys know what a mandrake is and they're like yeah it's used to unpetrify people or like you know get rid of whatever mandrake's used for uh, <laughs> and they're like that's great do you know what foreshadowing is they're <laughs> <laughs> like yes that's it because <laughs> that's, that's literally what happens too is they're like that's a mandrake root. It's just so convenient that we happen to be growing new mandrake right now. <laughs> Interesting. It's and it's it even kind of reflects the larger foreshadowing of one day Harry's going to break into this bank, which is mm-hmm. super the fun. Thing down there. Oh yes. Our next segment is enchantingly nasty. So this is some things that we found frustrating or upsetting from the text this week. I think you have. A great one to start with. I do. I am so. I hate the criminal justice system in general, um, mm-hmm. and in the Potter books, it's also just terrible. <laughs> and Hagrid was punished as a thirteen-year-old, and he had his wand snapped for something that he didn't even do. And it it's just sad. Like now, as an adult, like you know. People are always going to be like, oh, your wand shouldn't be using it. And he, it shouldn't have happened this way. He didn't need to have his wand snapped. He needed to, there's just, there's always a hundred other things that people could have done before this. And why, why did we, why do all of these systems have to be like this? Why can't we imagine something that's more humane and rehabilitative and one that actually like finds the perpetrator of the actual violence in this case, who was not Hagrid, who was Voldemort. So yeah, that sucks. Can you imagine if Tom Riddle at that point had gotten like his wand snapped instead of Hagrid? That would have been so great. We could have just saved ourselves like mass genocide. Yeah. Like, he surely he would have found some kind of way to cause trouble, but he never would yeah. have had access if he hadn't like gotten an award for special services to the school. I don't think we have like a single instance of like a positive experience in criminal justice in the Harry Potter series. No, like we have Harry is getting all kinds of conflicting information about like whenever he uses magic outside of school, like he goes from being like nearly expelled for Dobby doing something to having no repercussions for sending his aunt off into the sky. Yeah. Like, it's a very 
confusing system that seems to just have different consequences depending on how people feel that day. Mm -hmm. And it's just, there's, I can't think of a single good thing that happened to the justice system in this book series. I don't have any way to prove it unless there's canonical evidence. There probably, maybe there is, but like, it just feels like Hagrid being half giant probably contributed to this easy, like, okay, well, it was probably him because he's like, he's a giant. Look at him. Obviously giants are violent. Hagrid Mm -hmm. is weird. And it's, you know, it's reflective that, uh, the criminal justice system often has biases and prejudices against different groups of marginalized people. Um, but yeah, I mean, I don't think that Tom Riddle chose him at random to be the person that he posted blame on for this. No, like, yes, he did have a giant spider in the castle. (laughs) No, he shouldn't have had that. But (laughs) like, but I mean, it was maybe it was a very easy route for Tom Riddle to be like, Oh, there's a good scapegoat. But at the same time, it's also like, there's, some prejudice behind the fact that he was able to just be comfortable blaming something so horrible on this kid who had done basically nothing wrong yeah confident enough that everybody would believe like oh nope tom riddle's right this is this is Mm -hmm. this is what's happening and that's sad and i want i wish that we had a whole plot line where hagrid got like you know, people were like, oh, okay, well, you actually didn't do this. So let's give you like, you can go get a wand again. And we're going to compensate you financially for all of what you have lost because you were expelled unjustly. And I wish that there were some actual form of justice for Hagrid. And there's not especially after we have the Chamber of Secrets again, Mm -hmm. and get like, pretty obvious evidence that it wasn't Hagrid. Right. Like that would be a great time to say maybe like, hey, we're sorry. Mm-hmm. But there's not it's not even acknowledged. No. No, it's not. And it's not fair. And they come and try and take Buckbeak. It's just all fucked up. Mm-mm. Oh man. You don't we're not take gonna go there. We're not gonna go there. That's that was too far. <laughs> we're gonna have lots of Buckbeak animal related rants in the coming books i'm sure there's so many good animals and they don't get the treatment they deserve no hagrid knows what's up hagrid knows how to be kind and maybe shouldn't have made the crumple horned not crumple horned snorkax the blasted did scroots but but damn it he was trying to do something that he enjoyed (laughs) so our next segment is akio fandom where we feature different creations by fans um, and to try to kind of answer questions about something that may not be uh, so great about the text in one way or another. And this time I found an article by Emily Burick uh, called Are the Goblins in JKR's Harry Potter Anti-Semitic? Be remiss not to address them since we did go to Gringotts in this chapter. And uh, I am not Jewish, so I cannot really, you know, speak to it and will instead direct y'all to this article. Um, It goes a lot into the importance of intention versus consequence. And uh, I think it's a really 
it's a really well done article and um, very informative. Uh, yeah, I don't want to speak. I don't want to speak for the author, but I want y'all to please go check this out. It's uh, it really helped me answer some of the questions I had about this representation and uh, definitely go give it a read because it is quite informative. I think it was interesting to touch on because I've heard a lot about the issues with um, with the goblins in the series and you don't get like a whole bunch of information in this chapter but like especially if you watch like the movie then like you you get all of the visuals along with it that have a lot of problems definitely all right our next segment is department of social justice so we can talk about social justice issues identity politics all kinds of other issues that we see in the chapter i think that because Hogwarts houses are an integral part of many Potter fans' identities, it's only fair to talk about Hogwarts house issues in this segment. And I am not here for the Hufflepuff hate from Hagrid and Harry and I think Draco in this chapter. Definitely not Draco. Here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Nobody needed that. No, Hufflepuff is arguably the best house, so... Mm-hmm. Definitely agree. Like, not as a Hufflepuff. I am a Hufflepuff. <laughs> yes. So, <laughs> I have feelings. <laughs> Strong ones. And it's good. I think, yeah, I mean, you get very adjusted to the fact that, like, I mean, even fans of the series, it's not just, like, the characters. Like, even, especially back before everything was so, like, fandom Harry Potter, whenever it was just more of, like, books you read in, in middle school. Yeah. <laughs> and there's, there's a lot of of Hufflepuff hate because it was just seen as like the extra house and the add-on house and the spares and it was all bullshit. Mm-hmm. It's like we're having this conversation, Harry and Hagrid, about like, you know, Voldemort is bad. Like we don't like people who hate Muggleborns and who are prejudiced. And now let's talk shit about Hufflepuff, the only house to accept everybody. Like the do we not see the <laughs> the problem <laughs> with that like the the hypocrisy of it it it's there are a lot of there are so many like people's beings in the, the wizarding society where they are left behind like non-human beings like you know goblins and house elves and stuff and this is just like a larger wizarding problem where we act like, yeah, we're so good. We're doing the right thing. We're awesome. But we're just going to forget about all those other people. It's a very like, <laughs> I feel like it's a very uh, prob- big problem with the way that the non-Hufflepuff houses like see people, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Because before we were talking about how like Hufflepuff is one of the only houses that's philosophy makes sense for the school. Like, Let's take mm-hmm. all these people and let's teach them things. Doesn't make so much sense to just say, yeehaw, you're brave. Come and I'm going to teach you. Like that, that doesn't Can make sense. Teaching a school full of like just Gryffindor teenagers. <laughs> It'd be like a frat house. It'd be it would. I think, I think that's where I went to school. That was UT, <laughs> the University <laughs> of Texas. <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, like. Griffin, just a school full of Gryffindors would be impossible. A school full of Slytherins would also be impossible. Ravenclaw kind of makes sense, 
I can see that one. But Hufflepuff, like, this is a public school, and Hufflepuff says, we need to teach these kids magic. Like, I don't know why y'all are wanting to be so selective, but I'll take everybody. I'll take all of these kids, and I'm going to teach them. Mm-hmm. And that is the best example of what a public school should be. Yeah. And to just try and trash it as not being selective enough is just bullshit. Yeah. It's... <laughs> like, uh, now I'm imagining, like, there's a reason that we have schools besides, like, Princeton and Harvard. And it's, mm-hmm. like, it, some schools are too selective. And when you get too much of that, like, only the best energy, then everyone really loves the smell of their own shit. And <laughs> that's And that's not just, like, a using schools so it may sound like i'm saying ravenclaw but i think it's really it becomes this issue with anyone who's like no 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 gryffindor is the best house or ravenclaw or slytherin like you you can't be i don't know you just when you're not focused on like (laughs) for school purposes like teaching people and bringing people into the circle and sharing your knowledge Mm -hmm. you can create like toxic atmospheres and not to say that Hufflepuff is perfect but like at least it makes sense so yeah I don't know let us know your thoughts about house politics because it's confusing (laughs) (laughs) it was a Hufflepuff in the end um before the battle of Hogwarts it was just like what if we want to stay and fight that was Mm. a Hufflepuff so (laughs) yep just because you're not only brave or only smart or only ambitious doesn't mean you can't be a great, well-rounded kid who's yeah. capable of doing a lot of things. So the, the hate is unnecessary and and honestly frivolous and ridiculous. So yes, basically fuck that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, speaking of prejudice and fuck that. Uh, we encounter a little fuckwad baby Draco Malfoy, <laughs> and he's such a shit. But it is so sad. Coming back, really yeah, like reading this, uh, you know, as like a twenty-seven, almost twenty-eight-year-old person, and seeing eleven-year-old Draco Malfoy spewing the kind of hate that he is already spewing to a stranger, to a total stranger in a clothing mm-hmm. shop that's that's sad that is really sad it's a lot of confidence to be able to just be like <laughs> openly racist to a stranger yeah like it's not good confidence no <laughs> and i i really have learned to love draco as a character i didn't for a very long time but i'm i'm coming around mm-hmm. and i really i really do appreciate him as a character now i think he was a really good kid and he had a lot of you know it's the same thing like with Dudley where it's like I hated Dudley but now I'm just kind of like he deserved better yeah I think Draco also very obviously deserved better because you can see him progress into trying to be himself and just struggling with that Mm -hmm. and I just I have some I have a lot of feelings about Draco now and it's very sad to see see him like this at such a young little baby age yeah you know, when you're this young, I don't think that when you're raised by people who this is what they teach you, because we know that Lucius and 
Narcissa that, that, you know, they are teaching him this. He's not just like picking it up from the wizard internet or something like he -hmm. is, which the internet is another place where you can be indoctrinated into something, but um, that's not what's happened here. Um, No. And that's all from his family. Yeah. And there's this like these stakes that come when your family has this kind of prejudice even if you have any kind of, you know, whispering that says maybe it's wrong, it is uh, it is in your best interest for survival to quash that and not pay attention to it and literally like let yourself be brainwashed because what happens if Draco starts telling his parents like, you know, I think you're wrong. Like, I think that pure bloods aren't like the best. I think that everybody's great. What do you think Lucius is going to do to him? <laughs> like, I don't think it's going to go well. I think it's, I, I don't think that would have had a really good outcome for Draco. I think he would have been unsafe even more so than he already was. I think it, there's a lot of similarities to what we've talked about with Dudley in the last few chapters mm-hmm. of where, you know, they, they had the ability, like you can kind of see you can really see how connected what they're saying is to what their parents say. So Mm -hmm. you know that if they had had a better shot at things, if they'd had a different upbringing, that they could have gone in a totally different direction. And I mean, it's very intentional, obviously that we're exposed to this. Um, And it's realistic to see, you know, the hatred in the wizarding world. But um, but it is sad to see it from kids. Yeah. I don't want to take away, like, even as a kid, especially as Draco got older, he did have, like, a degree of agency. Like, you know, he wasn't under the imperious curse when he did anything. That's that's the thing is that this is, like, Draco is a kid. And the, the pressure that you experience when you're a child to, like, join the Death Eaters, to you know, try and assassinate the leader of a rebel movement, who's the principal, the headmaster of your school. Like, Mm -hmm. it's fucked up that he did that. This is a child who is, you know, his life is on the line, and he never should have been put in that position in the first place. You can see that it kind of, like, he starts falling apart from it, because it does, like, it stresses him out so much. Yeah. It's not something that just, like, comes easy to him or naturally to him. No, nobody has to like Draco or agree with anything that he did. But I think I do sometimes find myself a little feeling frustrated for him because, you know, he is a child. And I think that people are capable of change. And if they've never been given the tools to change, which includes like the freedom and the safety to engage in change, which Draco definitely did not have especially as the books (laughs) increase in Voldemort, you know, begins power. Um, I think that, and even as he becomes more aware of what he's engaging in, and this is true for a lot of people who are really hateful, where hatred becomes this shield, you know, so that we get to avoid these icky feelings of fear and hating ourselves. And you can see that Draco is fighting harder and harder as the series goes on um, to prevent himself from feeling these negative feelings and instead throwing his hatred onto uh, other targets. And Mm -hmm. it's, I don't like, 
I'm struggling because I don't, I'm trying really hard not to excuse him because the things he does are terrible and they hurt people and they hurt characters that we love. I think that he is a victim in this situation and it's really hard for me. Having grown up in the South and seeing so many people indoctrinated into hatred, it's really, what he's going through is not easy. And I don't know, just, I have a lot of empathy for him. Yeah, I think that there's a lot of things he does that I I wouldn't excuse, obviously. Mm-hmm. But um, I think that it's still, you can have empathy for somebody and understand what they're going through without necessarily agreeing that it was okay to do. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think because we're talking about Draco, you know, right now we have this higher empathy, but at a moment where he, you know, calls Hermione a mudblood or something, we might not. Um, I think the right. focus would probably be turned to Hermione's mental health outcome. Um, whereas right now it's just kind of sad that, you know, teensy Draco is a burning ball of hatred. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think it's, it's interesting and it's important to understand how people um, get to the point of doing terrible things. Yeah. Um, and it doesn't have to negate the fact that they did terrible things. Like we always want to like watch like documentaries and things about like serial killers and stuff. It's not because like we empathize with Ted Bundy. It's just because we want to know why, like how you can do things like that. So by like looking at people's history and stuff, it, it just makes it easier for us as humans to understand how other humans can do bad things. And I think that we just inherently want to understand other humans you are that was such a perfect way of putting that because i think that like if we look at this from a more like real life kind of view if you saw a kid say something like that you can there's like different reactions you could have like you could do what you do whenever you read this book and say like oh well that that's shit and Mm -hmm. just kind of keep going in the next scene or you could like talk to the kid and be like hey that's not okay and you can like help them learn and grow from that yeah um and so I think it's important to not just see somebody saying something terrible and just say well that makes them a terrible person yeah because in some cases it does in a lot of cases it does a lot of these people who say terrible things are terrible people but in the case of younger people who are not necessarily aware of where that hatred comes from then there's there's a lot more possibilities to kind of help guide them, especially with these kids being at the age where they're about to go into school. It's a great, this would have been a great time for like a mentor at Hogwarts to find Draco and be like, hey, like these are things that we could have like learned and and grown from. And unfortunately we don't really get that, but it is something that by, by being more aware of it, actively aware of it, then that's the kind of thing that you can actually, you know, grow from and support. Yeah. Well, it it just makes me wonder how much more pain could somebody have prevented just by taking the time, like you said, to step in and educate a child and say, Hey, you know, we don't do this. This is why it's wrong. Here's what you should do. And, you know, it just, just provided that small amount of, uh, information and empathy and 
just a growing point. You know, this doesn't, it doesn't have to be this like condemnation moment forever. Kids are capable of learning. Yeah. I think I've like noticed a shift in a lot of like, um, like books and, and TV shows that are for like younger kids. Cause we used to like, when this book was written and with a lot of things that came from that period, then we see that happen where like a bully says something really terrible and then you move on from it and and you're supposed to like toughen up from it basically. Mm-hmm. Like it's supposed to help you like be like, oh, that's the real world. Um, whereas like now a lot of books and TV shows that you watch that are for um, middle school, high school age kids, you'll see a lot more um, resistance to that kind of thing. Like mm-hmm. there's a lot more people kind of stepping in and telling bullies like, hey, we don't do that. Like, hey, that's that's messed up dude and that's something that I've noticed a lot more in like the last five years or so in in books and um in movies and tv shows that I don't think I ever saw growing up there's like multiple shows and things I could think of where like somebody does something and then as soon as somebody says like hey this guy did this and people are like that's fucked up dude like no we're we're done with that and it's just it's kind of a new concept to yeah to see in in media because I think when I was growing up and before that it was always just like that's how you toughen kids up that's how you expose them to the real world and stuff but like that's also just kind of saying that the real world has to be racist and has to be discriminative and has to be like sexist and all these things yeah and it doesn't it doesn't have to be all the time. <laughs> no. This is... We're just trying to make all the racist, sexist, homophobic people happy. And that's not what I'm trying to do. <laughs> <laughs> I This is it's really interesting because in one of my sociology classes in college, we learned about how like in, in social circles, like there is a, um, a script, like if somebody breaks up with you, like, there's a script for what you're supposed to do and say like, you know, like, oh, you know what? They, uh, they were trash anyway. You never needed them. Go, you know, have some chocolate, go get a makeover, go, you know, heal yourself. Um, mm-hmm. But we don't have social scripts for the people who break up with other people. And I think similarly, we don't have scripts for people who like perpetrate um, wrongdoings of certain kinds and and now it seems like with these kinds of shows it creates a recovery script for the person who perpetrated the wrongdoing like you did something wrong here's how you like here's what to do next like you need to apologize you need to educate yourself and move forward and away from this kind of behavior and that's really awesome (laughs) because without that kind of script it's impossible to know what to do so like good for good for tv and book and creators that's oh man that makes me it's really also, yeah because it's interesting too that snape is the one who gets a redemption arc mm-hmm. because he never he, i mean he didn't do any, he didn't do any work for no. it um no. there wasn't a lot of apologies it was just excuses Mm-hmm. and it's it's just 
there's been an issue before like I think getting to the point we're at now where we are seeing like really good examples of people being told like hey that's not what you should do before that we were kind of in this gray area of seeing bullies get redemption arcs that maybe they didn't deserve Mm -hmm. like there's like a whole there's the one that I hate the most is like the like homophobic bully is actually like a closeted gay kid Mm -hmm. and it's the most frustrating thing to me because if somebody was homophobic to me and then came to me like a year later and said hey I'm sorry it's just because I was gay like that's not a good like I'm not gonna forgive you just because you were upset at me for being out or something like that like that's not how that works you don't get to bully somebody and then get away with it just because you're gay (laughs) no no no. I'm gay too so that makes it okay right (laughs) yeah I'm just like that's not how that works no it means you had a lot of issues that you needed to process and you just took it out on me that that doesn't like oh okay that's fine (laughs) I'm glad that I was able to help you get through your shit but like that doesn't help me (laughs) no no that's like my least favorite trope of all time it's obnoxious and how nice to like just break free of these middle of the road like (laughs) half-assed redemption arcs and Mm -hmm. give people a real way to recover from their brainwashing and the things that made them lash out and hurt people so that they can stop doing that and stop hurting themselves. Mm-hmm. So our next segment is chocolate with Madame Pomfrey. Pomfrey. Chocolate with Madame Pomfrey, where we imagine mental health care in the wizarding world, its implications, and talk about mental health in general. We were both remarking on poor Harry and this like waking up and being like nope definitely didn't happen definitely a dream no giant named Hagrid here I'm just in my cupboard and how sad that is (laughs) yeah and it becomes like a pattern for him where he just really has a really difficult time accepting anything good yeah I mean like another sad thing that happens like whenever you see him like at Christmas and he's like I got presents I'm like you have friends now Harry (laughs) like it's it's stuff that like it makes sense that he has difficulty but it's just very it's kind of hard sometimes to see him struggling so much yeah um but it is it's really good representation i think that um of how his abuse affected him and how the the trauma that he had affected him yeah because it's it is a very realistic thing that he would have trouble believing that because to live for 11 years in a cupboard being told that you're worthless and then to all of a sudden be given like the best possible news of the entire like in the world in one day like Mm. would be so (laughs) difficult to believe especially like you're also being told like magic is real and (laughs) you're magic and your parents died super heroically and it was because they were like saving you and you're like this super cool wizard like that's a lot so much like it makes sense that he doesn't really understand or believe where he is in like time and space you know like Mm -hmm. that that is so outside of his normal reality that he's just like 
um can't be there because that does not compute with my <laughs> the safety mechanisms i have in place to make sure i don't get my hopes too far up i mean he actually he handled it very very well like i would yeah. not handle it well i went larping one time and i dissociated the entire weekend like <laughs> and that was like like to have it actually be real would be wild yeah, like that. He's just like, oh, it's real, and then there's balloons of happiness in his stomach. Like, damn. Yeah. Neuroplasticity yeah. at the work. <laughs> I think that it's. I love also that it kind of bookmarks the chapter because he starts out with this isn't real, and then at the end of the chapter we kind of touch back on that, and we mm-hmm. um, we see Harper kind of noticing Harry not feeling great, which yes. is also just really nice to see Hagrid. Um, noticing that so quickly because I just met Harry like fair like he's met him once now other than when he was a baby mm-hmm. and so to have him just be like what's going on like he got really quiet to have him notice that something was off is really really nice because Harry's probably never had that and then to not just notice it but to also have like the perfect thing to say whenever Harry's just like I I don't know how everyone expects me to be great. I don't know what's going on. Like, how am I supposed to be like this amazing wizard when I didn't even know the magic existed? Mm-hmm. Um, I just so good. Because <laughs> he just has like the most beautiful response of just like, it is hard. Like, that's yeah. always going to be hard. Like, you're, you're going through something very difficult and it's difficult for everyone. And you're going to get through it. And it's, and you're going to be okay and you're going to learn and go to it he doesn't say like it'll be fine like you're going to be great it's very um it's very genuine to what harry needed in that moment and I yeah. love it. <laughs> he's doing like thinking how much we i wonder if how much we enjoy the chapters will be proportionate to like the level of <laughs> mental health care like good mental health care we see because this is this is kind of the best we've seen so far you know like Hagrid's not a professional therapist or anything but he's talking to Harry like he's saying the kinds of stuff that Harry needs to hear for him to be able to adequately adjust to this new period of his life he's a really great support system in the time that Harry really needs a great support system yeah and he's doing all by himself which is awesome (laughs) right like because that's it's a very big job that Hagrid got to like tell this kid all of these things Mm -hmm. like to just go meet a random 11 year old who doesn't have you know parents who can help him out and to give him all of this information about his entire life in one day and then take him into the magical world right away and exposing all these things that's a huge job and Hagrid is just so confident and supportive throughout it and it's just so good after seeing all of the terrible things that Harry's been going through and all the terrible responses that the Dursleys had for him it was really really nice to see somebody supportive for him yeah he like this is like what a social worker does you know Mm -hmm. he he steps into this job that's not his job and does it amazingly and 
the only bad thing that happens is like he traumatizes Dudley, which of all the bad things that could have happened, you know, that's a pretty low, that's a small list. (laughs) (laughs) The list of things that could have gone wrong. So, you know. Yeah. I think, um, I think Hagrid would have been a great, like, um, school orientation leader. Mm. Or just like a school, I don't know if he'd be a great school counselor, but you know, like how like the school counselor's job includes like getting, like introducing new kids into the school and stuff. Yeah. He'd be great at that part of it. (laughs) Definitely. He'd be able to figure out like, oh no, I think you'd want to be friends with this person. Yeah. Hmm. Be good RA. (laughs) Oh, definitely. (laughs) Cause he wouldn't snitch for small things. (laughs) No. Well, because he's got his own things that he can't have people snitching about. (laughs) Dragon's (laughs) Laner. You had some great thoughts about Quirrell. Yeah, so I was kind of interested in Quirrell's stuttering just because it is talked about a lot, like kind of right away when we meet him. Um, And I just wanted to like look into it a little bit. And it so anxiety is not like a cause of stuttering, but we do kind of get the hint that from um, Hagrid that Quirrell's always been kind of an anxious guy, but then whenever he went away on his little, you know, safari trip, that <laughs> things got really bad for him. Mm-hmm. Um, and we know essentially what happens that he met Voldemort and, you know, now has Voldemort on the back of his head, which is not a good time, I'm sure. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> so, like, I think it would be a fair assumption that he probably has a some PTSD from that yeah Um, we don't know for sure but just from seeing his anxiety and his stress level and from knowing what happened I think that it's I think it's a fair thing to say could be possible definitely um so stuttering and PTSD is actually connected a bit for some people um it's not like you know you have to have one to have the other or anything but it's um, it is kind of a good um, case of representation, I think, because he he got worse after he had this psychological trauma, and um, whenever he gets anxious, like whenever he's meeting Harry, it starts to get a little bit worse and stuff. So it does actually, it's a pretty good way of kind of subtly showing that Quirrell went through something recently, and that Quirrell is uncomfortable in these situations Mm -hmm. look at that like multiple instances of good mental health representation in one chapter i know it's i wonder if we wonder if we hit our quota (laughs) we're gonna be out now (laughs) (laughs) no more after this (laughs) Uh, we'll see we'll see it'll be a fun either way it'll be a fun chapter next time so our next segment is into intensive, so we're going to reflect on what the chapter means to us and kind of how we're moving forward from it. So this chapter, I think, is kind of like what I've been looking forward to with reading the book, and I think it's the same thing that I looked forward to when um, I read it the first time, or had it read to me the first time, um, because it was the first time that I was introduced to the series, I was like in first grade. 
So it was at a very early stage and it was just very exciting to go from this kind of like dreary chapters and this kind of like lots of sad things into all of a sudden you walk into a diagon alley and it's just magic and it's so cool and it's the same like feeling that I get whenever I watch the movie and you see him like the bricks like open up and just see Diagon Alley Mm -hmm. and it's just like it's magic (laughs) (laughs) Um, and I think that there's a lot of um, things right now that makes that connect just because there's been so many dreary things going on this year and it's been such a difficult year to kind of just get through the idea of like going from something dreary into like just magical happiness totally. for a bit is just a really nice thing to cling on to right now. Absolutely. For me, this chapter makes me think a lot about agency. And, you know, Harry goes from being in this abusive household where he's powerless to this world where he has a lot more agency over his life. He has economic power in this world. He has a wand. He can do magic. Um, And, you know, it's so important for victims of abuse, I feel, to, like, have some kind of agency to start healing. Mm -hmm. And this really makes me think about how the Potter fandom is an enormous place for so many of us to regain our agency by, like, just talking about the books with other people and having an opinion about a character or, you know, like taking the initiative to connect with somebody else, to go to a convention, to even to like buy something that you like, you know, to buy a scarf made by an Etsy Hogwarts scarf maker or something. Those are all like acts where you can start to reclaim your agency and how you're talking about like this, you know, in this time where this chapter is such a return to everything that is truly wonderful, you know, that makes you feel those happy magic feelings. And it, it really reminds me of the, um, and this was my, it may not seem like this huge connection piece. It's just, uh, it makes me think of the Lego game and, for both of us, we really enjoy playing the Lego game and you start off in Diagon Alley there. And so I, I just think about how this is this like this perfect example of getting into the books exactly into the story, you know, in the best place, like where we're, we're entering the wizarding world, joy, wonder, who cares what's on the other side of the, the, the wall, like here we're in Diagon Alley and there's magic and playing a video game is like, some in some ways it's an ultimate act of agency i feel because it's mm-hmm. like you know you are participating in it and i don't know i just it feels like this big happy swimming orb of good feelings about this chapter and about the potter series when you mix all of our pensive thoughts together it feels swirly and warm so yeah. yay Yay. <laughs> I I agree about the Lego games. I think it's just, there's something about just like being able to be a part of it and mm-hmm. just kind of put yourself into it. It's really, 
it's just really nice. Yeah. All of the magic is there without all of the bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank all of you for listening, and we hope that you'll join us next week to discuss Chapter 6, The Journey from Platform 9 and 3 quarters. In the meantime, you can follow us on social media, on Instagram and Facebook, we are Beyond the Veil Pod, and on Twitter, we are Beyond the Veil MN. Is that my introduction? <laughs> yeah. I think it is, right? Okay. okay. <laughs> <laughs> this is all the pensive things, don't you? That was it. That was it. That was the intro. Let's go into the pensive. <laughs>